I think you're just seeing this like very distributed world now where there isn't really any HQ and everything is, you know, kind of point devices in your employees' hands and, you know, some back-end system, which tends to be Microsoft or Google or Amazon or Salesforce or, you know, Box or these other applications. So I think it's a it's a pretty interesting time. And, and you know, I think I'm fortunate that I've already been kind of working on these problems and, and you know, they're just extremely relevant today. Mobile workforces, cloud applications, and digitalization are changing every aspect of the modern enterprise. And with radical transformation come new business risks. Welcome to Hybrid Identity Protection, the premier podcast for cybersecurity pros charged with defending hybrid identity environments. Presented by Semperis, the pioneers of identity-driven cyber resilience for the hybrid enterprise. And now, here's your host, 15-time Microsoft MVP and Active Directory security expert, Sean Duby. Today, I'd like to welcome Ben Johnson to the podcast. Ben has a distinguished history in computer security. Back in the day, he worked for the U.S. intelligence community. Then he co-founded and was CTO of Carbon Black, which was acquired by VMware. Not one to rest on his laurels. Now he's co-founder and a CTO of Obsidian Security. It's great to talk to you again, Ben. It's been about a year since uh, we both spoke at the HIP conference in Bentonville, Arkansas. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Sean. And thanks for having me on. And um, yeah, that was actually my first time in in Arkansas. So I've been to probably 40 something states, not quite 50. Uh, but that was actually my first time. And it was it was a great conference there. So thank you for having me in, in Arkansas as well. Yeah, it was my first time too. And and as you said, it was a good time. We would have by now met again at uh, HIP New York City, our annual conference. But as obviously uh, nothing in the world is the way we had planned it a few months ago. So uh, here we are kind of chatting about similar topics, just doing it remotely. And actually mentioning that. So, you know, you had talked about, you know, identity security and SaaS security and these items. And I know that all of this has been turned 90 degrees as a result of COVID. And so I'm wondering what's uh, what's on your mind today as far as how that's affecting the areas that you pay attention to? Yeah. So I think, uh, you know, typically we say that you start in the garage before you create your company, whereas I'm actually sitting in my garage now after the company is up and running. So, you know, it's a bit of a bit of a funny twist, uh, unfortunate, you know, uh, global climate uh, that we're all dealing with. And, you know, don't don't mean to make light of that. But, you know, I think the, the way I like to think about things or we like to think about things is really, you know, in this uh, future where more and more is cloud. And, and really by future, I mean now, but you talk to companies out there and, and they're each kind of saying, hey, look, we're in a cloud first strategy or we're a cloud forward organization where we're trying to adopt anything that can be put in cloud something, right? Whether it's like infrastructure or SaaS or, you know, platform as a service. Um, you're seeing a lot of organizations that are really trying to take those kinds of applications on and, and focus more of their team on their core business and, and less on the, you know, kind of managing data centers and, and, and so forth. And so um, just the, the kinds of problems that, that I'm thinking about are, are really related to uh, security uh, of those systems, uh, threat behavior, risk, uh, all of that. And so when you think about accessing, let's say, Salesforce or GitHub or these different applications that might be extremely business critical now, what 
first comes to mind, it's access. Like who who has accounts? Like who can log into to, to your Salesforce account or who can log into your GitHub account? And you know, I can certainly talk a lot more in depth about about various related topics. But that's that's essentially what uh, I've been studying or, or trying to build around the last last few years. And we as a team. Uh, and so now in this world where everything is remote and maybe working on your home PC, not your corporate you know PC anymore. Maybe most people have laptops or, or what have you, and and are still on corporate devices, but the point is they're, they're connecting from maybe their home Wi-Fi directly to, you know, access customer data, source code, uh, email, of course, you know, those kinds of things. And so uh, I think you're just seeing this like very distributed world now where there isn't really any HQ and everything is kind of point devices in your employees' hands. Some back-end system, which tend to, tends to be Microsoft or Google or Amazon or Salesforce or you know, Box or these other applications. So I think it's a, it's a pretty interesting time. And, and, you know, I think I'm fortunate that I've already been kind of working on these problems and, and, you know, they're just extremely relevant today. I think it's interesting that, you know, is this, um, because of the situation we're in, the stampede over literally a course of weeks to more remote work, more cloud focused work. This is certainly a kick in the pants for companies that were considering cloud, but taking their time, they hadn't quite decided and all of a sudden, within a matter of weeks, they're trying to spin this sort of thing up with the resultant, uh, we, we've both been in the business, the resultant um, mindset of just get it done. Okay, maybe the security isn't perfect, but we just need to get it done and we need to keep the business running. Yeah, I mean, it's, I think you, you put it well, like people maybe weren't necessarily as uh, embracing of the newer technologies or, you know, cloud or SaaS and um, have no choice now. And I, I've even been on calls with with CISOs from other organizations. And for example, they had to mail out like 6,000 iPhones and, and like mail out <laughs> computers. And, you know, you talk to somebody and they have a, uh, a customer support center in, I don't know, say Philippines or Indonesia or something like that. And the way they've tried to maintain control is everything stays at the corporate, you know, site, the corporate location. So nothing in, nothing out, all, you know, company owned devices, company controlled networks, uh, appropriate security monitoring, that kind of thing. And they have to let people work from home now, or, you know, they're, uh, the laws require it, or, or they're just, you, you know, humans and <laughs> they want to make sure people are healthy. And so now these places where they really relied a lot more on, um, you know, maybe physical or perimeter type controls or things like that, there's no choice and they have to uh, embrace, you know, different endpoints, different uh, cloud-based systems and that kind of thing. So, so yeah. And then I think you've seen also um, the huge explosion of, you know, Zoom and different video, uh, video chat type technologies being critical. I mean, we, we conduct our board meetings now over Zoom, right? And there's lots of other very important meetings. My, you know, four-year-old kid is on with his preschool on Zoom. And, you know, so it's, it's, it's really uh, changing just the dynamic of how we communicate or how we, how, we, how we sort of move society forward, business and personal. Um, and then therefore, what do we do about it from security perspective? To your point, it's, it's totally different than it was like a month ago. Yes. And, and and you say we're all seeing it literally just before our conversation. My wife was finishing up a clarinet read making instructional class via Zoom. Uh, she's a clarinet professor. So I think culturally, you know, security is certainly, but just as an aside, I think it's very interesting culturally to see how even though these capabilities existed, Six months ago, a year ago, uh, and just about the same cap- the same amount of capabilities, 
nobody used them or very few people use them. People like us use them because we tend to be very technology forward. But what this has done is really shoved it much more into the mainstream. And I'll be curious to see how much it, how much it swings back from a security point of view. Uh, I'm curious, do you see in talking to companies, have there been, um, has there been a lot of companies that have basically said, throw all the resources you can at our VPN uh, connection and just scale that up to handle everybody versus, you know, we should be, we should be adopting a, a more of a web services based or identity as a service based approach. I think you're seeing a mix. So companies that were very much trying to uh, view the cloud as really just an extension of their perimeter and of their on-premise environments have tried to then sort of lasso around certain cloud applications using, you know, VPN or or similar types of technologies where they try to Mm. funnel all all traffic through a choke point. I think think you've seen some success there. I think you're seeing some companies, uh, it just overwhelms the VPN or they have to completely upgrade and and buy a much more expensive solution or, you know, now, now all of your employees have to maybe get new devices or install clients and things like that. So I do think there's a set of companies that are are trying that. I think some are succeeding, some are not. I think you're also seeing just a lot of companies who are already operating in the sense of, look, employees need to connect directly to, let's say, Office 365 or G Suite or maybe AWS to do some of their their, their cloud compute, that kind of thing. And so as long as we have a good sense of, of who has access and maybe what uh, what endpoints they're coming from or what, you know, sort of maybe geographic locations they're coming from, uh, then you at least have a sense of of control and, and you have an understanding of who who has access, who has privileged access, who's actually using these systems, uh, that kind of thing without really slowing down the worker, right? Because I think to your point, it's like, hey, how quickly can we get up and running in this shift to, to, to work from home? And then, you know, okay, now it's time to make sure we have appropriate monitoring and, you know, sort of uh, understanding of, of, of employee behavior and that kind of thing. So I, I think it's both, but I, I do think you're seeing more and more companies say, look, we can't force like this global workforce to all go through like a VPN or, you know, that kind of, th- kind of thing. And if it goes down, then you know, what do we do? So if we can have more, you know, sort of trust in, and you was, you use the term identity, if we can have more trust in the you know, sort of identity of people who are trying to access these, you know, corporate systems or these, uh, these business applications, and then again, you know, sort of monitor the behavior and the, the sort of activity that's going on in these systems, uh, then, then you're seeing companies that can say yes more to their employees or, or get their employees up and running faster, but still have a good level of, uh, you know, security monitoring and, and risk reduction. It's true. In in my time spent as an identity architect in with a consulting company, uh, I saw as companies, depending on where they are in their journey, and companies that were not so far along would still use Office three sixty five, but you had to access it remotely through a VPN, which of course pretty much hamstrings the sophisticated uh, capabilities that they have if you go to it directly. And as as you were saying more advanced companies, you know, become more comfortable with the idea of that direct access. What do you think in, in, in looking at what's going on, what do you think companies are not getting right that they need to be paying attention to right now? What are the things that you see this in it's, and you feel, oh my gosh, these people don't understand X, Y, or Z. Uh, 
how, how much time do you have? Um, <laughs> no, <laughs> and, uh, and, and I joke because I also see a lot of good stuff happening. Uh, I think, look, the number one surprise I had in, uh, in sort of, so, so just for the listeners, I was very much hardcore endpoint security, right? EDR, continuous recording, malware, you know, that kind of world. And then I, I shifted over to, to, to SaaS and IaaS, like, you know, what do attacks look like in, in, in Salesforce or Google or these other places. But having said that, my number one surprise in talking to organizations was that very often the security team has no access or very little access to these different business critical applications. So Office 365, security team might have very little access. Maybe they were granted some logs. Maybe they actually have some, some sort of privileged account to do searching through, you know, through the audits and, and, and be able to do some IR and stuff like that. Uh, but again, that's a, that's a maybe. And then even you get downstream to stuff that really was never under the security purview, like, like we talked about Zoom. Um, you know, very few security teams have good kind of monitoring of, of Zoom or some of these other applications. And so my number one surprise was just that disconnect. And, and maybe maybe that's on me. Maybe I shouldn't have been surprised. But that disconnect between the application owner in the business who now may not even be inside of IT, right? They might be like the head of HR might run Workday or the head of sales might have brought in right. Salesforce and IT might have even been kept out of the loop. So I'm not trying to blame you know any particular group in the organization, but it's just it seems like it's more you know sort of disparate, more dispersed throughout the organization. And so there isn't that kind of unifying view of like what's going on from a security threat, from an access being granted perspective. And I know you and your identity world and, and identity architect roles and things like that. Like, I mean, a, a lot of what you try to do is figure out how do you provision all the accounts when new new employees start and how do you sort of maintain an, you know, an, an, an inventory of access, but then also like, how do you monitor it from security and, you know, behavioral perspective? So these are all things I'm thinking about, but I think, I think teams that have thought about that and gone down the path of some sort of centralization for provisioning, deprovisioning and, and monitoring, I think are in a much better place than the teams where it's still like, you know, very, uh, you know, business unit specific in terms of who owns each application. Uh, that's a it's an excellent point. I, I'll use the phrase shadow IT and then I'll put it aside because it, it is it's almost more just simply the way business is done right now. And so, yeah, as you say, I like I like the uh, I like the example of the HR team using um, a, all the different kinds of SaaS based HR applications and security may have no no insight into it or, at all. Or to use Azure AD for an example, Office 365 for an example, maybe they'll take the activity logs or the sign-in logs and pull them down to an on-premises SIEM system and look at it from the SIEM system, but not up in the not up in the actual application itself. Are yeah. there any other? I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to comment that um, I think it really starts with with trying to figure out how you get access, like through through granting access, through provisioning access, how you maintain a list of of privileged users, right? And that's that's what a lot of compliance and, and audit care about is who has privileged access, who can make changes, you know, maybe read read other documents and things like that. Um, but then, okay, so then how do your employees sign in? Is it through a single sign-on and, you know, that kind of thing? And, and when they do that, is it with multi-factor authentication or other protection mechanisms that reduce likelihood of compromise? And then you keep going past that. Then it's like, okay, how do you monitor when an employee has done something malicious or even more likely how, how, 
when they've made a mistake, how can you be uh, alerted to that? And, you know, they overshare a file or, you know, make a public S3 bucket or some of these other things that we see a lot. Yeah. I mean, I think it's just, it's just teams saying, look, everything that comes in the door, security needs to be on, on board. They don't necessarily need to, to be a blocker. And I know CISOs are trying to say yes pretty much all the time and, and enable things. But security needs to at least know this exists and then have some sort of tap into the telemetry or some sort of monitoring or something, because otherwise they can't do anything if they don't have access uh, to, to these systems. So if you found yourself, and maybe this will be a, a last question, is if you found yourself having to give advice to an organization, let's say, that has basically beefed up their VPN, but realize it's limited not only in scalability and its security analysis and its vulnerability, uh, and they wanted to, to take steps to prioritize moving beyond that to a more secure, modern footwork, what would you recommend? I think one problem security teams have... <laughs> I've seen this in cloud. I saw this all the time in the endpoint space is they try to solve the problem for 100% of their surface area. So whether that's 100% of their endpoints or 100% of their employees and accounts or whatever. I I was in conversations uh, like five years ago where they're like, oh, your your endpoint security product only covers 90,000 out of our 100,000 computers, it's like, no. It's like, well, okay, the other 10,000 are like, you know, really old systems that no one's going to cover. So what are you going to, you know? So anyways, I would say that most companies, I'm guessing, you know, (laughs) I'd be surprised if I'm wrong. Most companies have a large portion of their company that are, you know, kind of the knowledge worker that has a pretty consistent schedule and pretty consistent IT need. And so if you just take the example of people who need to do, you know, office uh, type type, uh, type work in terms of, um, you know, like Microsoft office. So, so like, uh, you know, spreadsheets and, and, and word docs and PowerPoint and, and email. And you find people that really that's going to get them pretty much their entire job done. Uh, you know, maybe like, uh, you know, Slack or Microsoft teams or some of these other, you know, chat based systems. But, but basically we're talking about a very, uh, consistent need from an IT perspective. Can you carve out a bunch of those users and say, you know what guys, you can connect directly to office 365. Like there's no reason for you to have to go through a VPN just to connect, to get your email when that's really all you do. And we should be able to, you know, set you up appropriately. So you have the appropriate amount of risk, appropriate control controls or monitoring and you're no longer, you know, beating on our VPN. Now, if you're doing all sorts of very sensitive things and you have to connect to very sensitive production, you know, AWS or Azure or, you know, like running your your, your company's product or things like that, like, okay, maybe you're going through a few more hoops and that should be a much smaller percentage of your population. So I think my, my piece of advice would be, can you carve up your population into groups where some of the groups have a very sort of predictable and, and standard ask, and then they can maybe go directly to, you know, again, Microsoft or Google or Salesforce or something that that gets them most of their job done and is also going to reduce then all that traffic going through a VPN or just, you know, just the maintenance headache of, of that. Right. So in other words, uh, carve it up by use case. Find the easiest, find the low hanging, if you pardon the cliche, find the low hanging fruit that you can solve. Yeah, I, I, I think you put it well. And, and like I said, too many times, it's like, well, 100% of our company needs to do this. It's like, no, they don't. Like, <laughs> like give your execs, if you're really worried and you're really, maybe you've had some bad malware experiences in the past, give your execs like iPads, which are quite safe. I mean, no, nothing's perfect, but you know, they're, they're, you're not installing a whole bunch of random binaries and things like that on an iPad and have them connect to their email through that and stuff like that. And, you know, other par- parts of the population that you can uh, carve off, like you said, by use 
case or by sort of worker type, uh, and then figure out how to how to create a good experience for them that maybe reduces the burden on IT. Right. Right. Yeah. Some, some maxims never go away. Uh, perfection is the enemy of good, I think is, or some <laughs> yeah. variation thereof, right? Yep. Well, great. Thanks, Ben. This has been really interesting. I, I love to hear perspective of someone that's been out in advising companies and of course just has a long background and sees trends come and sees trends go. So I appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us on the Hybrid Identity Protection Podcast with Sean Duby. Be sure to subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen. Visit hipconf.com, that's H-I-P-C-O-N-F.com to learn about upcoming events, view expert presentations, and take part in the conversation. 